Levis awaiting the shotgun snap. It comes in, letter high. Levis in the pocket, has time. Over the middle, intercepted at the goal line. Quan Alexander with the game-sealing pick takes it away and seals it for the Steelers. That was a moment last night that the Titans attempt to come back and win the game. To do to the Steelers what the Steelers did to them, it failed. Quan Alexander making the interception. Exciting final drive. Exciting final moments. Titans trying to defy that magic the Steelers seem to have where you may outplay us, but you won't outscore us. And the Steelers get their fifth win of the season, moving to 5-3. and three. Titans fall to 3-5. and five. Great way to start a great week nine, which has plenty of great games. And we've got Shereen Williams in on Friday because Peter King is in Deutschland. He will join us later in advance of the biggest game that the NFL has ever sent beyond our borders. Dolphins Chiefs in Frankfurt on Sunday morning at 930 a.m. Eastern. 830 a.m. for you, Shereen. Get your sleep on Saturday night. Because get an extra hour. football starts early. That's true. It's a perfect week. Perfect week perfect to get week. an extra hour. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. How are we doing today? We're doing great. You know, it's November 3rd, and I used to get very pissy. You might be surprised by the fact that I get pissy from time to time. <laughs> I used to get pissy about this whole idea that it's Christmas season as soon as Halloween ends. Yeah. But this year, this year, I've decided to just kind of embrace it. And my son said to me yesterday, we need to put the Christmas tree up in the barn soon. And I was like, you know, it's November 2nd. And then I started thinking about it. It's like, why does Christmas have to be four weeks why can't we make it? Why does it have to be like the Friday after Thanksgiving? Like nothing gets put up until the Friday after Thanksgiving. That's always been the way. And that always felt early. That always felt early yeah. to me. But that was kind of what I've accepted. But now this year, I'm kind of into the idea of just letting it ride all through November. It's going to be Thanksgiving in less than three weeks. So why not enjoy it? You keep that stuff tucked away all year long. So... I think that I think I'm just going to accept it. It's Christmas season, even though it's November 3rd. Let's enjoy it. Let's let that feeling of kindness and goodwill and all that crap permeate more of the calendar than it already does. (laughs) I love Christmas, Mike. I love the Christmas lights. I love the Christmas tree. I love the whole idea of Christmas. I, I like everything about Christmas. And I'm always so depressed. Like, when you take it down, and we used to always take it down the day after Christmas, and that was the most depressing day because it was oh, God. 64 days until it comes back around, and I want to see the lights and all that stuff. So January to me is depressing, and that's the reason why, because you have all the lights and festivities and parties and everything that goes into December, and people are in a good mood, and then you hit January, and it's cold, and I, I, what are you looking forward to? Spring, I guess, which is still a couple months away. So, so is the Texas version of the 12 days of Christmas on the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me absolutely nothing. She took down all the decorations and crammed them in the attic. Is that how it goes yeah, in Texas? Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
I I remember we we keep everything up until just after New Year's, and that that was the way my mom always did. It. And I could always remember it was that first day back to school, and every year, and this is how dumb I was, every year I forgot that there was that first day back to school that when I came home, and God love her, she'd yeah. get it all done by the time I left for school and the time I got back. I'd get home and it was like we're moving out. Like you open the door and it's like, where's the house? Like where? Like it was the worst. You're right. It's the worst yeah. feeling when all that stuff's gone. But that's happening no matter what. So the earlier you put your stuff up, right. the more you can enjoy it. You have your own little cocoon in the world where you can kind of just get away from all the crap that's going on right now. We try to provide you a daily oasis from the crap that's going on right now. We try to do that both at PFT and here on this show. And, of course, the website, the doors never close. You can come anytime you want and get caught up in what's happening in the NFL. But I'm all in with early Christmas this year. And I'm not just saying that. Some of you cynics out there who have been well-trained by listening to me might be thinking, I'm only saying this because I got a Christmas book for sale. That might be part of it. But that's part of what's pulled me into the willingness to embrace Christmas early. The Christmas book on our way home, available as of Wednesday, it's actually selling well because I foolishly decided to donate everything I make from it to our local animal shelter, and it's actually going to cost me money because I'm doing it all pre-tax for the first chunk of it because I don't want to mess around with all that stuff and get audited. So I just give them the damn money and be done with it. So that's contributed to my early Christmas vibe. So Merry Christmas to all. And to all, a good show. And off we go with the Steelers and the Titans. The 20-16 to 16 wins, Shireen. The Steelers are the 34th team since 1933 to be outgained in each of their first eight games of a season. And they're the only one that has had a winning record. That is according to the folks at ESPN. 1933. Outgained every game. And they've won more than half of them. That's Steelers football in a nutshell. That's what they do. They'll bend but not break. They'll allow you to feel like you're beating them, and they'll beat you. Once they play Renegade, although Renegade didn't have immediate effects in a positive way because the Titans just kind of started to drive down the field, but the defense stiffened. They got the ball back. They methodically got themselves in position for the game-winning touchdown, and that was that. You know, Kirk Herbstreet made the point last night that it felt like one of those old-school AFC Central battles between the Oilers and the Steelers and, you know, Jerry Glanville and, and, uh, and all those Steelers guys and that good Steelers defense. They're always built on defense, and that's what it is again. The Steelers team is built on defense. And last night they were outgained 340 to 326 again. And they still found a way to win. And when you look at the record, you're like, how are they doing this? How do they keep winning? I mean, Kenny Pickett doesn't look good. And all of a sudden, he leads a a game-winning drive. I think that was his 6-1 he's had in his career already. So somehow, they are finding ways to win. And I think, Mike, this speaks to coaching and how well coached this team is. And you hear Steelers fans every once in a while go, oh, I'm tired of Mike Tomlin. Mike, there are more than half of the teams in the league would fire their coach right now to hire Mike Tomlin as their head coach, maybe even more than that, because he's a really good coach 
and he gets the most out of his teams, and I think we're seeing it again this year. Because when I look at this team, I'm like, this team is not very good, and they just keep winning. They find ways to win. And I'm thinking about that final quarter because after the Steelers punted to the Titans and the Titans had it deep in their own end, came back from commercial, and you could see the aftermath of Renegade, the ritual that doesn't happen every single game, but when they need it, and every home game this year, I think they've needed it in the fourth quarter. They've needed that shot in the arm. The Titans got the ball into, you know, close to the 50, punted to the Steelers, and that's when we saw this 11-play, 92-yard drive that consumed a large chunk of the clock, uh, five minutes and 11 seconds in all. It felt like it took up more than that. But the Titans got the ball back with four minutes left, got it to fourth and fourth, the Steelers 46, went for it, and I don't – I that was the play that Traylon Burks was injured on, and it looks like he's going to be okay. It was a scary moment and kind of – you know, it's just like it was one of those where and every time that happens now after DeMar Hamlin, it's like, is it precautionary or is it something more? Is he OK? Are they just doing everything they need to do to make sure? And it was it was just kind of a it was a strange vibe when it happened. And there was no obvious moment when he came down, hit his head on the ground and rolled over. But, you know, he they, they there were something something caused them to be concerned. And if you were watching the game, he was kind of laying motionless for a while after that play, but that was a fourth and four and you throw it deep. Yeah. I don't know about that play call. Obviously if it works and they're, they're, they're geniuses, but the percentage chance of it working as opposed to just trying to get your chunk of yardage and keep the clock moving and get yourself in position on that drive to get the game winning touchdown. That seems like it would have been a better, been a better move, but that was all a prelude to the reason why Steelers fans hate Matt Canada. And, I was surprised last night, before we get to that, that last Steelers drive that almost blew the game for them. Matt Canada came to the sideline last night to call plays for the first time as a Pittsburgh offensive coordinator. The first acknowledgement, directly or indirectly, by the Steelers that something is amiss with their offensive attack. It's been nonstop complaining, 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 fire Canada chance at Steelers games, at Penguins games, it's been the predominant storyline of the season. Matt Canada stinks. Get rid of Matt Canada. That's not me. That's what the vibe has been. And it's gotten louder and louder. The Steelers finally acknowledge it. That surprised me. Because through it all, the Steelers have had kind of a stubbornness that just gets to the edge of arrogance. Not quite full-blown arrogance, but the Steelers' attitude is, we're going to do what we're going to do. And if you don't like it, that's your problem, not our problem. And you know what? The more you complain about it, the more we're going to dig in our heels. That's why I was surprised they did anything. At this stage of the season, on a short week, after Sunday's game against the Jaguars, okay, Matt Canada, you're going to make this dramatic change to your game day experience. And it is dramatic. It's completely different. It's like a lab setting when you're in the booth and you can see everything that's happening on the field and you're detached from the emotion of the game. You're down on the sideline. You can't see it all the same way. It's loud. It's hectic. You get caught up. The adrenaline flows. I was surprised that they gave into that. Before we break down that last drive, I was surprised the Steelers gave in and did that. And they won, but it's not like it changed anything. I think the outcome would have been the same if he was up in the booth. 
Yeah, it's interesting they did that. And they did show him on the bench talking to Kenny Pickett. Maybe that helped Pickett some. I don't know. They did have the opening drive touchdown, Mike. Third time in the last 32 games that they have had an opening drive touchdown. They looked a little bit better on offense. But you're right. Did that have anything to do with Matt Canada being down on the sideline? Probably not. I don't know. Maybe it helped Kenny Pickett, him just talking to him on the sideline. I don't know. I, I think that's something for Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett to address if, if it worked, if that was the reason that they played better in the first half than they've played uh, this season in, the, in any first half. But they did look better overall, and whether that had anything to do with it or not, you have to figure he's going to be down on the sideline for the next game because they were more productive yesterday. So we'll see what happens with, with Matt Canada, Mike, but he's got to produce more than what he's producing offensively f- to keep his job beyond this year, I would think, it, because they're at, they came into this game averaging 16 points a game. That's just not enough. That ranks 29th in the league. So, again, the fact that they have a winning record is just amazing with what they've done offensively. But he's got to figure it out and figure out how to make it work. And with Kenny Pickett, and some plays, they look great, and they look like they're clicking. That 30-yard, whatever it was, throw was fantastic. The touchdown play they drew up was fantastic. But they got to find more of that and do it more consistently. And it was ultimately, I think, a recognition by the Steelers that something needs to be fixed, something is indeed broken. And you're right, even if they make the playoffs, Matt Canada in serious trouble with the Steelers and may not be back next year. There's the ultimate game-winning touchdown. The first touchdown for Deontay Johnson since yeah. the Truman administration, I believe. <laughs> uh, actually, Ben Roethlisberger was the last guy to throw Deontay Johnson yeah. a touchdown pass. That's how long it had been for Deontay Johnson to actually get in the end zone. He dropped one, I think just one play before that, but the drive was extended by... Uh, they got closer. They got the first down. The drive wouldn't have been over there, but there was a holding, a blatant holding when you had this kind of rubber out on the front end, but it still would have been touchdown if Deontay Johnson had held on to it. He just declined the penalty, but then he gets the touchdown. I think on the very next play, and it was the next play, it was a second and six from the six when uh, Deontay Johnson dropped the ball, and it was the next play, first and goal from the three, that the touchdown happened. So, so Matt Cannon is on the sideline. Steelers get the ball back. With 4.02, wait, 2.06 to play. Not 4.02. 4.02 is when the Titans got it back. Yeah. Kid can't even read. 2.06 is when the Steelers get it back. So this game should be over. You should be able to get a first down and go home. On the first play, Najee Harris loses three yards. Two-minute warning, stops the clock. Second play, They do one of these Calvin Austin end around. They gain two yards. Timeout Tennessee, 156 to play. And then on third and 11, and, you know, the crowd wasn't happy. And I don't know what you do in that spot. You're on your own 46. It's third and 11. Chances are that offense didn't get in the first down by that point. That drive was blown the first two plays. So they do another run, three yards, and another timeout from the Titans, 150. Pittsburgh punts, and that set the stage for the Titans to have that moment that we saw at the end where Quan Alexander had to make the interception to finally slam the door. So that's where, you know, in a key moment, having an ineffective offense can really screw you up because the game should have been over then. They should have been able to get a first down. 
a, a marginally reasonably effective offense gets a first down there. It was almost like they were never going to throw on any of the three downs. We're just not even going to take that chance. We're content to not trust our offense to win the game with a first down. We're content to trust our defense to not let this rookie in his second start drive the length of the field. And probably the right decision, I don't know, but it almost blew up in their faces. And if they hadn't won that game, the failure of the offense to do anything when it got the ball back with 206 to play would be the primary talking point and would be the spark for even more Matt Canada hatred in Pittsburgh. Well, that's what it came down to exactly, Mike, is they trusted their defense to close out the game. They didn't trust their offense. And we don't even know, and I would be willing to bet, that that wasn't Matt Canada's decision. I would almost guarantee that's Mike Tomlin's decision. And we've talked a lot. We talked a lot about Kyle Shanahan and overruling and all those types of things. Um, this could be a thing where Mike Tomlin said, look, we're run- you find three running plays, but we're running it three times, and we're going to punt the ball. And then our defense is going to hold them. And that's exactly how it turned out. And when you have a defense that you can trust like that, you're able to do that. But, Mike, this is a team that cannot run. That's part of the problem with their offense. They drafted Najee Harris high, and he's done absolutely nothing for them. Came into the game averaging 79 yards rushing. They did much better yesterday. So maybe they've hit on something that they can, they can run the ball a little bit better than what they've had. But that's been part of the problem is they can't run the football. And that offensive line just hasn't held up to allow them to run the football. So they've got to figure that out, how to close out games and not always rely on your defense. Yes, that defense is good. Yes, most times, especially against a young quarterback making his second start on a short week, you're going to win that game. But are you going to be able to do it in the playoffs? I don't think so. So they're going to have to figure that out as they go along the season if they plan on being more than one and done. Well, and that's why Chris Sims is so anti-Steelers, because they're going to take a seat at the playoff table and get their asses kicked in the wild card round. That this week-to-week effort to kind of sneak up on you, steal a win, and just gradually get enough to qualify for the postseason – That goes away in a single elimination setting. You're not going to sneak up on anyone in a single elimination setting. They know who you are. They know what you do. You're not going to be at home if you're the sixth seed or the seventh seed or the fifth seed. Your only chance of being home if you're the fifth seed is if you host the championship game. So you're going to have to take that on the road. And, yes, Steelers travel well, but they don't play renegade in the the opposing stadiums. It's a different sense completely when they have to leave Pittsburgh. And we saw what happened a couple of years ago when they went to Kansas City. And I thought they were going to win. And they pulled off one of those defensive touchdowns with T.J. Watt to go up 7 nothing. And I thought I was onto something when they were playing Kansas City. And then I think the final score was 92-7. to So uh, that's what's waiting for the Steelers if they get to the playoffs. And I think that's another reason why the, the fans are so exasperated by the offense. Because this isn't an offense that's going to win in January. I mean, you look at it objectively and say, hey, they kind of got the formula, defense and running game, defense and running game. But you still got to be able to throw. There are certain moments where you've got to have it. And it feels like they don't consistently or sufficiently deliver in those moments. And you mentioned the running game. Jalen Warren had 88 yards on 11 carries. Najee Harris had 69 on, on 16. He averaged 4.3 yards per carry. Warren had eight. 
and I've gone back and forth on this. Warren has more burst. Warren has more explosiveness. I feel like Najee Harris is still the lead guy because he is the epitome of Steeler football. He is rough and tough, and he goes out there, and he gives everything he has. And, yeah, you know, another running back would have gotten 12 yards, and he got seven. But it's those seven yards and the way he goes about it that fuels the machine that is the Steelers, that keeps the defense willing to go out there and throw their bodies into harm's way because they see what Najee Harris does on a consistent basis. So even though Warren is the better player and maybe – On another team between the two, Warren's getting 25 carries and Harris is just the short yardage guy, if that. I think it fits this whole formula in Pittsburgh of this is what it takes for us when we're outgained every week to win more than we lose. Yeah, the running backs together had 30 carries for 166 yards, Mike, and I think they found a formula between the two of them that they can get to work, but... They've got to do it on a consistent basis. You can't average 79 yards rushing a game, especially when you play the type of football that the Steelers play. And another thing is that in the red zone, they were two for four yesterday. Titans were only one for four, which ended up being the difference in the game. But they've got to get better in the red zone. And, and you have to be able to run the ball some in the red zone to be good in the red zone. And you would think with those running backs, they would be good in the red zone. But they were not able to consistently get the get the football in the end zone yesterday, which is why it ended up being a close game, uh, is because they were kicking kicking field goals down there. So they've got to figure this out. Matt Canada's got to figure this out if he wants to stay beyond this season, and they've got to figure this out as a team if they want to stay in the playoffs beyond one one week. And you know, from time to time last night, how do I put this? Kirk Herbstreet, it felt like, was making excuses for Matt Canada by pointing to the execution and not to the coaching. And, you know, it was more than twice. And you just, I don't know. I don't know where the line is because ultimately the coaches are responsible for ensuring the players properly execute the plays. That's what coaching is, partially. You design the plays and you make sure the players are sufficiently accountable and skilled and prepared that they can properly execute the plays. So if the offense doesn't work, the offense doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Those are the best players they have. These are the players. You got to make it work. Now, we talked earlier about the move from Matt Canada booth to sideline. Both Mike Tomlin and Kenny Pickett discussed that decision after last night, last night's win. Here's what they had to say. Again, we're, we're making moves with the intentions of being better. And so we'll see as we move forward. It was good. I think, you know, we communicate really well with the headset. No one else really gets a chance to do that with him. Um, So I think, you know, him being able to go over to each position group um, and kind of get on the same page with them and let them know what we're thinking going into each drive, I think it definitely was a positive. So you talked about that earlier, the ability to work with Kenny Pickett, communicate with Kenny Pickett. And, hey, the NFL had to like it because all those sideline shots – just showed everyone how awesome this year's salute to service collection is like every year they got to come up with something new and i've got a couple of the salute to service hoodies some years i see them and it's like i'll wait till next year last night i got a good look at at this year's collection because it was the first game of november and i i ordered one i i, I couldn't <laughs> help it i saw it it's like man those are awesome 
I ordered one. So well done, NFL. Well done. Maybe that's why the Steelers put Matt Cannon on the sideline to sell more salute to service gear so we'd get more shots at the sideline last night. Whatever the motivation, it worked. And it worked for the Steelers for last night, although they got outgained. That's where I'm struggling. They yeah. won. They got outgained. And in that key drive at the end, they just kind of cried uncle and didn't even really try to get a first down. So to your point, especially with Canada on the sideline, you know, opportunities to have direct conversations face-to-face with Mike Tomlin, we get the ball back, we'll just just run, 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 and if we have to give them another chance, so be it, our defense will stop them. I, I assume that was the calculus. And that's part of what you do when you don't really trust your offense to go out there and get that 10 yards on a, on a gotta-have-it drive. Just let the defense do it uh, instead. And it almost uh, – the point is, if they give up a touchdown on that last drive, all hell breaks loose in Pittsburgh because of the Steelers' last drive. They're lucky that the defense came through because any positivity out of last night completely implodes for the offense if the defense doesn't come through on that final drive. No doubt, Mike. And I, and I don't know who to blame for this, whether it's Matt Canada, whether it's Kenny Pickett. I, I don't know. But the fact that George Pickens had two receptions for minus one yard, it blows me away that they were able to win the ball with their best receiver. One of the best receivers in the NFL, by the way, only getting five targets, two receptions. Of course, he had the touchdown that he couldn't get the second foot in bounds, and they end up scoring on that drive anyway. But that, to me, is, is just wrong that you're not getting the ball to your best weapon on offense and he is you got to find a way whether it's Kenny Pickett finding some one-on-ones and giving him a chance at those 50-50 balls or Matt Canada drawing up plays to get him open whatever it is you've got to get him the football more than two times you're absolutely right, and they talk about it all the time. Kenny Pickett was on with Adam Shine on Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio a week and a half ago talking about it, and every time I hear that, I get, I get a little excited because I think Pickens could be great, and I have been saying this all year. Why are you not getting the ball to him all the time? Why are you not scheming your offense to get this guy the ball? Put it in his hands. Now, I will say this, and you know, Alex has been working with us this year, and I'm trying to teach him how things are done. He did say to me after this play that we're looking at right now when Pickens did not get the second foot down, he said, you know, great receiver gets a toe in there. And <laughs> I, it, it's yeah. like, because I'm in this whole, George Pickens is the best player in the NFL. The Steelers are holding him back, and he, he slips in with that. If he was as good as you say he is, why didn't he do what I've seen like a thousand other guys do? In that moment, you know where the sideline is. You know where your body is. You practice that all the time. How do you not get your toe down? Why is your foot landing that far out of bounds in that spot? And I don't want to be critical of the guy because I love the guy and I think he could be great. But point to Alex, great receiver, gets the toe in instead of having the toe come down out of bounds. And a great official who's standing right there gets the call right right away, too. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out how he missed the call, Mike. It was right there. You could see it in real time. He didn't get the second foot down. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. We see that all the time. All the time. Where an official is looking right at it. Unimpeded. Undistracted. 
unconcerned about getting run over by one of the gladiators. That's one of my bits. Like, you got seven middle-aged people down there with no protection whatsoever among the gladiators with helmets and pads and cleats and every, and giant, they're giants. And you're Unless trying your to process all off. this while, right, while not getting killed. <laughs> and exactly. But, but this is, you still have these where the guy's clearly safe and in a position to use the naked eye to see what happens. And what happens, it, it, it doesn't, like, what, what is it that causes the brain to malfunction? Which gets back to my point, they need to tear down the officiating function, rebuild it in light of every available technology today. I've written about it. We've talked about it before. That's all I'm going to say about it for now. But that's a great example of it. When the officials who are looking right at it blow it. Now, oh, they fixed it. They shouldn't have to fix it. And the fact that they have to fix it tells you the old way of officiating games no longer works. All right, let's flip it over to the Titans. Will Levis acquitted himself well, as they say, in his second start after the great game against the Falcons that not many people saw because it was caught in a cluster of nine one o'clock Eastern games on Sunday. We get to see him in prime time. Here's Mike Vrabel, his head coach, on how Levis performed in a very difficult environment. Fairly well, you know. Again, no, no, no delay of games. Um, getting getting us in, and, and again, there were some things that you know, will have to be better as, as far as just directionally. And, and but you know, I think that it's it, it, it was again we, we lost, so I'm not going to sit there and glorify that uh, in his performance. But there were some good throws. There was you know some good protections, close on a couple runs. Third down was was certainly uh, a large factor in, in this game. And Levis was impressive, and the pocket held up more often than not, even though it seemed like in the first half, every play, there was another injured Titans offensive lineman. On that final drive, I kept waiting for the pocket to just completely consume Levis and you know a strip sack or some mistake or something like that and yes the interception eventually came but all in all the Tennessee offensive line and Levis managed well against a very good Steelers defense so there's reason to be encouraged you know after the game they had a shot of Levis on the sideline and you could tell he just he was upset, and that's what you want to see in that situation. You want a guy that is an intense competitor who thinks he can go into Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers in prime time and think of what that would have done for him. I was thinking about that on that last drive. Yeah. Man, if he pulls this off, if he beats the Steelers in Pittsburgh, if he outsteelers the Steelers in prime time and comes back and wins this game, he's going to be the hottest thing in the NFL. And uh, he still should be something we're paying close attention to. I had an executive with one of the teams tell me this week he's going to get a lot of people fired because owners are going to be asking, why wasn't this guy a first-round pick? Why did we pass on this yeah. guy? That's how good he potentially could be. Last night would have kind of added to and fueled an early career legend for Will Levis if he had pulled it off. So all in all, it was good. wasn't good enough, but I think it was better than what the Titans would have expected this soon from Will Levis, a guy that was number three on the depth chart before Ryan Tannehill got injured, and they kind of let Malik Willis and Will Levis duke it out. Well, and you think about it, Mike, short week, second career start, on the road, in Pittsburgh, one of the toughest places to play, and he comes out and performs like that. I thought it was outstanding. I was excited to watch him because I didn't get to see – 
the entire game he played on Sunday, which was just outstanding with the four touchdowns. So, you know, you can see it. With, with rookie quarterbacks, you can see it, and you see it with Will Levis. He has it, whatever it is, and he's just going to grow and grow and grow. And you go back to that next-to-last drive, and you talked about the deep pass to Burks that was incomplete, and it was fourth and four. I'll go back one play before that, third and four. They run the ball with Spears and don't pick up any yards. And I thought there were times that they were too conservative And that might have been one of them on that third down play. Give him two chances to throw the ball. And he's going to learn. You don't have to go deep on the fourth and four play. Try to pick up the first down. Live to see another series of downs, et cetera, et cetera. But they need to unleash him now. Trust him. He's shown you enough that he can play. And he's going to get better. And frankly, you're building toward 2024 anyway. You're not going to go anywhere in 2023. Sorry, Titans fans, but... It's the way it is. But you have a quarterback. Now you got to get him ready for 2024 when you can build around him. So cut him loose. Quit being so conservative and let him play. Give him some, give him some passes and trust him. He hung in there great too, Mike. He took some shots and got the ball off and, and made some completions even when he was taking some of those shots. But I think they allowed themselves to believe after beating the Falcons that if they could beat the Steelers, they, they would yep. be. Very much didn't. alive. Four and four versus three and five. And even at three and five, they're not done. Now, when you get to five losses, I mean, it used to be with 16 games. When you got to five, you probably had to win them all to get, to get in. And even if you did, we saw the Patriots go 11 and five in 2008 and not get in. I still don't know when it's red alert time with 17 games. We haven't had enough 17-game seasons. But when you're at five losses, you're getting pretty close to it. And I don't know how well they're going to do down the stretch. But last night would have been a huge boost. And I think that's why, you know, there's just a sense of optimism all of a sudden. They didn't trade Derrick Henry. I don't know what offers they got, if any. I thought it would have been smart to let Derrick Henry continue his career elsewhere. He feels like he's going to leave as a free agent after the season. It's just feels like it's moving in that direction. And there were trade rumors back in the offseason about Derrick Henry. I was surprised they didn't move him. I think they had a sense of, we can go for this. We can. We, we thought we were done at 2-4 and four and got embarrassed by the Ravens. And Ryan Tannehill gets injured. We have our bye week. We beat the Falcons. Hey, you know what? Maybe we got something here. DeAndre Hopkins had the three touchdowns against the Falcons. Derrick Henry is still Derrick Henry. They had a lot of creativity in the offense last night. A couple of times Henry took snaps, had that fourth down run where he got to the outside block, uh, sprung him, and he was able to, to turn on the Jets a little bit. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, they tried, and it didn't work. And you mentioned that fourth down play. I feel like that was the – that wasn't Will Levis freelancing. I feel like that was the call. Yeah. Like Tim Kelly, the offensive yeah. coordinator, decided presumably with the the – Blessing of Mike Vrabel, we're gonna we're gonna surprise him here. We're gonna we're gonna put Traylon Burks behind the the defense, and we're gonna trust Will Levis to deliver it. And you know, it looked like there was a little mutual contact all the way down the field, and then Burks got injured, and they never really had a conversation about should there have been a flag on that play. I don't know, but that's that's almost putting a little too much faith in any quarterback against the Steelers in Pittsburgh with the game basically on the line, even though they still had another shot to get the ball back and score, 
that that to me just seemed I don't know it looked like that was the play all the way he may have looked one way before over there maybe it was a second read I don't know but boy that's just I that's that 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 just seemed like a little too aggressive and a little too much and again that's the play that resulted in the injury to Traylon Burks who by the way is alert and moving after being carted off we saw the thumbs up on the way off the field uh, you know, it was it was that that one was and I still think we're a little hesitant after DeMar Hamlin uh, last night. It didn't feel like they were just being precautionary. It felt like maybe he did have a serious injury, but it looks like Traylon Burks is going to be OK, which is the best news of all to come out of this segment. Well, it is great news, Mike, and I would have preferred to have seen that play on third down. If you're going to take that shot, take it on third down then come back and get you something safer underneath or do the Derrick Henry play again outside get him outside and let him go for three yards but pick up the first down however you have to pick up the first down so if you're going to call that play to me that's a third down play and not a fourth down play or or start the Derrick Henry run again and let him do that little jump pass for about five yards on fourth and four you know but there's a lot of different things they could have done that's a low percentage play where you throw the ball, even on single coverage, you throw the ball down the field to, uh, to Traylon Burks. And, uh, they st- again, still had another chance, still almost pulled it off, but the Steelers slammed the door on the Titans. And the Steelers somehow are 5-3 and three and continue to be very much alive in the toughest division in the NFL, the AFC North, where the Ravens are firmly in charge, the Bengals are making their move, and the Browns have something if they can just get a little something out of their offense. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Plenty of great games this weekend. Peter King is going to join us from Germany later in the program. The game of the day, arguably, I don't know. The best yeah. game ever, early morning. The best game we've ever sent to another country is Dolphins Chiefs, but there's great games, great games all day long, culminating in Bills Bengals on Sunday Night Football. Uh, we're going to focus, though, on one of the big games in between those two, the Eagles and the Cowboys. Shireen's Cowboys get together with the Eagles on Sunday. We'll talk about that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. We have to treat it every day the same. Like You can't get more up for one game than you would the next game. I think if I said to the fans and to you as the media that it's Cowboy Week, we're going to ramp it up. Well, what the hell were we doing the last couple weeks, right? You'd be like, well, that's why you lost to the Jets because you guys weren't – like, I wouldn't ever – but fans, let's go. It's 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 Dallas week, and so we're going to need that. They got – the Dallas has to feel that. Dallas has to feel that when they come in here that it means a little bit extra to the people in those seats, and, and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be a, a, a hostile environment. be misremembering things here but I have a vague recollection of Nick Sirianni at some point during his tenure as head coach of the Eagles this is only his third season making a pretty big deal at Cowboys week like with t-shirts and hats or something right am I uh, there was something and it was probably a couple of years ago about just that rivalry and maybe he's learned that if you focus too much on one you dilute your attention that you give to another but there's a Nick Sirianni clip out there somewhere of him all jazzed up to play the Cowboys. So he has changed. 
He has grown. The arc of the character has developed in Nick Sirianni, where he's come to realize if you put too much focus on the Cowboys, the Jets will come up and get you. I do remember him running off the field after they beat the Cowboys, whether it was last year or year before, one of those years. And I think he said, how about them Cowboys, which ticked off Cowboys fans, of course. I do remember that part. But, yeah, there was something. I, there were T-shirts. I remember the T-shirts, too. Uh, yeah. I, I, there's the T-shirt We got it. Right there, there it is. That's right. There what it the? Is. Nick! Is that you, yeah. Nick? I rest my case, <laughs> Your Honor. There it is. <laughs> Video proof. <laughs> Yep. All right. Well, at least, you know what? The best part about that, for once, I can say I'm not losing my mind. So, uh, all right. So, this is just another game for the Eagles. No big deal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nothing to see here. Doesn't matter. Cowboys, eh, well, we'll just, you know, it's like anybody else. Okay. Um, and it's not. And we know it's not. This is a huge game. Eagles are 7-1. and one. Yeah. Cowboys are 5-2. and two. Cowboys have... I think had kind of a B12 shot from the 49ers losing three in a a row. That's allowed the Cowboys to think that maybe they do have a chance in the postseason once they get there, and they surely will, barring a collapse like the one we've seen from the 49ers in recent weeks. But this is a huge part of it. And the the key issue for me, and this is a Jason Garrett point that he made when the Cowboys were getting ready to play the 49ers. It's a different team away from Dallas. Not because there's some great Steelers-style renegade home field advantage. That team plays better on turf than it does on grass. That defense is more explosive. It's faster. And, yes, it may hurt more and be more conducive to injury. But regardless, that defense works better at home than it does when you put it on grass away from Dallas, Shireen. To me, that's the difference in this game. If they're playing in Dallas, I'm all in on the Cowboys. They're playing in Philly. I'm all in on Philly. And even though Dallas is 8-3 and three over the last 11 games, there's been a split in three of the last four seasons. Yeah, and, you know, they lost to the 49ers on the road. They lost to Arizona on the road. They have an 11-game home winning streak, which I think is the best in the NFL right now. And let's go back to that 49ers game and the hype they had before that game. I mean, they all came out and hyped it up, hyped it up, hyped it up. Then they go and get their tails kicked, 42-10. Kittle raised, George Kittle raised his jersey and and showed the shirt, F Dallas. Uh, Since then, 49ers 0-3, Cowboys 2-0 and playing better. So you talked about after that game, Mike, that the 49ers maybe shouldn't have said and done some of the things they did. Debo Samuel came out and said, hey, it could be worse next time after Michael Parsons spoke out and out not liking the Kittle shirt. So here we are. The Cowboys are low-keying this game now. After calling the 49ers game a measuring stick and not measuring up, they've really low-keyed this game. Like, we're, you know, this is same sort of thing Sirianni said. This is one game. We're going to go in. You know, we're prepared, et cetera, et cetera. Not building this game up. But we all know, Mike, this is an extremely important game. And I think it's more important for the Cowboys than it is for the Eagles, just like the last one was. And they'll get another chance to play them at home. But they need to win this game to show that they're at the level of the top teams in the NFC. They haven't done that yet. If you look at the teams that they've played, the records of the the victories are not very good over the teams that they've played. You only I get it. The schedule is the schedule. You play who you play. 
But at some point, you're going to have to beat the Eagles or the 49ers if you want to go where you're going to think you can go. So this is your test. This is another test. You failed the last one. You get another chance to do it now. And I think it's a really, really important game for the Cowboys. One of my check-the-box, it's week one takes that I dust off every year is that losing in the first week of the season means nothing at all unless you lose at home to a division rival. Then it's a little bit more because you've got to go play them in their building later. And if you get swept, makes it very hard to win that division because a tie with that team, beyond the fact that they've won two and you've lost two, a tie with that team, if you can manage to tie them, it goes to them. So it's a three-game deficit that you've encountered. And I mention this now because that's the stakes for the Eagles because they got to go to Dallas later. And if you lose in Dallas, makes it harder to nail down that division. It gives Dallas an opening to take the division. After everything we've seen from the Eagles this year to get to 7-1, and one, and they haven't been dominant like they were last year. They're 7-1. and one. You are what your record says you are but they're not dominant like they were last year. It's a shakier 7-1 and one than what it would have been a year ago. And there is an opening for the Cowboys. I still am on the Eagles this week, but, but if the Cowboys pull this one off, it changes everything. It changes everything. But yeah. what we've learned is when you feel like everything changes, it can be very temporary. If you, and this goes back to the wisdom Nick Sirianni has gained over the last two years. If you put too much on that one game, I want to go back now and see after they beat Dallas that week what happened after that. Maybe he has learned you can't give too much to that one game because you got more. And if you blow the next one or the one after that, everything changes and whatever you gained temporarily is lost. It's just another step in a very long journey of 17 games but it is a huge one. And here's some good news. We haven't seen Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott line up against each other in the same game. Not that they're ever on the field at the same time, unless something really unusual has happened. September of 2021 is the last time that we have seen both of them. One or the other has been absent due to injury in three games played between the Eagles and Cowboys since then. So we see number one against number one, best against best, They both had big games in week eight with four touchdowns each. We see what they can do against each other. And this is another opportunity for Dak Prescott to kind of change the minds of the doubters and the haters and all the people out there that say mean things about him and make Micah Parsons mad. Yeah, he is eight and three against the Eagles, Mike. But you're right. Only one of those games was against Jalen Hurts. They didn't play against each other last season. One of them missed one game and one of them missed the other game. So now here we are. I think the big thing I want to know is can Jalen Hurts run now? We haven't seen that here lately. And I think he's going to have to use his legs a little bit against this Cowboys defense. Get outside the pocket because I think that's where you can exploit the Cowboys is in the running game, especially with the running quarterback. So if he's able to run, I think they have a big advantage in, in this game. But you look at it, Mike, you talked about the winning because you play each other twice and you got to win the home game and all that. You look at the standings right now. It, it's a big swing because if the Cowboys win this, they're tied for first. If they lose it, they're two back and essentially another half game back. Cause now you're going to have to beat the Eagles the next time. I mean, the more pressure is going to be on you the next time. That's why it's just so huge for the Cowboys to win this game, to stay with the Eagles and have a chance to win the division. 
you don't want to be a wild card team. You want to be the the win the division, get home field, get home field advantage if you can. Just for the reason you said, Mike, they're so much better at home than they are on the road. Maybe they turn into the Rangers in the postseason and can win on the road and go sweep through and get to the Super Bowl. But I like their chances much better at home. How, how much did it hurt for you to have to say that about the Rangers? A lot. after this one the the, the Cowboys have interesting schedule they've got the Giants at the Panthers and the Commanders on Thanksgiving three games they should win and and win handily then the following Thursday night Seahawks Seahawks come to Dallas then the following Sunday night on NBC and Peacock the Eagles come to town December 10 week 14 then the Cowboys are at the Buffalo Bills rematch of consecutive Super Bowls back in the early 90s. Then they go to Miami on Christmas Eve at 425 p.m. Eastern. Then the Lions come to town. In past years, that would have been a win. This year, who knows? That is a hell of a run of five games. So schedule softens for three, and then it stiffens for five. We're going to know. How about them Cowboys between week 13 and week 17, Shireen? That's a tough, tough stretch, Mike, for them. And I do have three of those at home. I guess that's the good news for them. It's going to be potentially bad weather in Buffalo, cold weather at least. We know it's going to be cold. It's always cold that time of year in Buffalo. So you're going to have to figure out how to win in Buffalo in the cold. And then the Dolphins are going to be a test for that defense too. So, yeah, that's going to be a really tough stretch. We're going to know a lot about the Cowboys after that. And, and they need to obviously win the three games after the Eagles. No matter what happens in the Eagles game, they've got to win those next three after that. And they should win the next three after that. Big question for the Dallas defense. Can they contain, can anyone contain A.J. Yeah. Brown? who became the first player in NFL history to have six straight games of 125 or more receiving yards. In my mind, at a time when we've been kicking around the idea of Tyreek Hill being the league MVP, if the Eagles are the one seed, A.J. Brown, the way he's playing right now, he's the league MVP at a time when a receiver has never won it. He has been phenomenal. He has been the guy making that offense go, and you talked about the Jalen Hurts inability to run, that knee bruise that they've been hiding kind of weirdly. Everybody knows about it, and they still won't put it on the injury report, but Brown has been unstoppable for the past six games. Remember there was a time early in the season when he was a little, and, you know, receivers do this. They get a little frustrated about their role. No frustrations the last six games. They've been getting him the ball. They've been scheming him the ball like the Steelers should do with George Pickens. And he's been delivering to the point where, yes, he is a contender to be the first NFL MVP from the receiver position in the history of the award. Completely agree with you, Mike. Second in the NFL with 939 yards, fourth in catches. He's getting it done on offense. And, you know, the best thing to ever happen to him was that trade to Philadelphia. He has a quarterback that throws it up to him and lets him make catches. He wouldn't be doing this in Tennessee, as we saw last night, with the quarterbacks that they have. He is doing it with the Eagles, with Jalen Hurts. They have established that chemistry. And we see now he is one of the best receivers in the NFL. We wouldn't have said that before this year. 
We're saying it now. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL, MVP candidate right now. He's playing at an unbelievable level. It really is amazing when you think about it. The A.J. Brown trade, the Tyreek Hill trade, both in that same cycle, both in that same offseason, they have both paid off tremendously. And then there's Devontae Adams, who has to be thinking, Yeah, I got the, I got the bad hand here. I got, I got sent to the place where my career went to die, frankly. Although he had big numbers last year, they're, just, they're not getting in the ball, and they, they've got no shot at the playoffs as a practical matter. But Brown and Hill, it was those three receivers, boom, 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 in early 2022, and it's worked out very well for both the Dolphins and for the Philadelphia Eagles. Are we confident to flip it over to the Cowboys' passing attack? And given what happened last week for C.D. Lamb, 12 catches, 158 yards, and two touchdowns, career-high catches and yards consternation about lamb being involved in the offense as much as he needed to be to make the offense go. Jerry Jones kind of downplays it. Do we think it's turned the corner? Do we think it was just a fluke? I think we're going to find out this week, Mike, Dak Prescott played great football last week. Can he do it against the Eagles? Can he do it when it really, really matters against a real, I mean, this is frankly, almost like a playoff game whether they, whether either team wants to admit it or not it's it's that it's that big and so we're gonna we're gonna find out about Dak Prescott we're gonna find out about that Cowboys offense they're fifth in total offense but they're actually second in scoring because their defense and special teams are scoring so much and getting them short fields and and if they don't get those short fields and they don't get those points from their special teams and their defense are they going to be able to consistently put drives together 75-yard drives, are they going to be able to do that? And I think this week we're going to find that out. I don't expect the Eagles to turn the football over much to the Cowboys. I don't expect them to give up points on special teams or on offense. In other words, the Cowboys getting those returns on special teams or or defense. So I think they are going to have to drive the ball, 75, 65, 70-yard drives. And can you do that consistently? And I think that's what we're going to find out this week. We're going to learn a lot about both of these teams, and we're going to get some glimpses as to who's best suited to really start this second-half stretch run in a way that that propels them toward possibly getting to the Super Bowl. That is the biggest game by far of the late afternoon window because the other ones are Colts, Panthers, and Giants, Raiders. Like, It won't take away any attention (laughs) at all from Cowboys, Eagles. The night game, there is no other game to take away any attention. It's the only game played, and it's a big one. The Bills go back to Cincinnati for the first time since week 17 of the 2022 season, the night that DeMar Hamlin had cardiac arrest on the field. The game was suspended after that. They got together in the playoffs. Cincinnati won 27-10 in the snow in Buffalo. The Bengals are still favored only by two points in this one. That tells me that somebody thinks the Bills have found something and that even though the Bengals won by 14 in San Francisco, that maybe they're not as back as we would think. What do you expect from the Buffalo offense after what we saw against the Buccaneers? I mean, that game on Thursday night of last week was closer than it should have been. It felt like the Bills were on the verge of blowing it open a couple of times. They kept punting fourth and short on the other side of the 50 when it was 24 to 10. What, what do you think about this Bills offense against 
a Bengals defense that gets overlooked because it's all Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, but that defense has been pretty good. I think back to that Monday night game against the Rams. They have been very good when they need to be. Does anyone know what to expect out of this Bills offense? I, I keep waiting. My, I keep waiting for the consistency. I keep waiting for Josh Allen to get it done game after game after game and not make the stupid decisions and not make the big turnovers. And I've been waiting on this for a few years now. Frankly, I picked him to go to the Super Bowl, I think, a couple times over the past few years. And it, it, it's hard right now to look at this team and go, they're – a Super Bowl team, they're going to win the Super Bowl because they're so inconsistent. I think they're capable of it, but I need to see it on a consistent level week after week after week, and I, I haven't seen that. They look good one week and not so good the next week, and you're right. They let teams hang around, and that's when you get beat. And to win in the playoffs, obviously you have to put games together. You can't have that bad game. You can't have that inconsistency. So I need to see more out of the Bills. I need to see more out of this offense. I need to see more out of Josh Allen. So, well, I, I, again, just like the Cowboys, I think we're going to find out a lot about the Bills and Bengals this week. Have, are the Bengals really back on track? And I do think they are. I think they're headed the right direction, just like last year. They started slow. And I think now you're going to have to contend with them in the postseason. I don't know about the Bills. I'm totally uncertain about the Bills and where they are. They started the season with that weird, bizarre Monday night game where they lost in overtime to the Jets. Then they had three straight games of complete dominance. Blew out the Raiders, blew out the Commanders, blew out the Dolphins, 48-20, to and really took a lot of air out of the early season Miami balloon. And then after that, they went to London, and they lost something on the way across the Atlantic Ocean because they lost to the Jaguars. And... Along the way, and I can't get the order of games just right, but they've had two losses and two wins. And the two wins could have easily been losses. That Giants game felt like it was going to be a loss. And they end up escaping with uncalled pass interference in the end zone on an untimed down. Otherwise, they could have lost to the Giants. And then they had... And I know this gets Bills fans upset because what about Mike Evans? And what about this? And what about that? Well, bottom line is there was uncalled pass interference on the Bills on the Hail Mary. Kate Otten was in the middle of the Malachi crunch, and that should have been an untimed down from the one. So they could be 0-4 since going 3-1. and They're lucky to have those two wins. This is, and Shereen, I mentioned this last week as the Buccaneers game was approaching. We are going to see the Bills in big spots every week until week 17, either primetime, standalone, or 425 Eastern. A lot of focus on the Bills. And Brandon Bean, their GM, said this week, we're still forming our identity. It's November. And I know that it really doesn't get going until Thanksgiving. That's one of the Belichick things. But I'd like to think by November – you formed your identity. The question is whether or not your identity is going to work. Is your, is your identity a real legitimate card or is it a McLovin fake ID? Like you at least have your identity by the time you get to November. That was one of the strangest comments of the week for me. And they may be the only contender that you say we're still trying to form our identity. I think we know what the rest of the teams are. If you start looking at Maybe not the 49ers. Maybe they're still trying to form their identity. But the rest of the contenders, I really think we know who they are at this point. We know they have a chance to win. And I'm 
just still so up in the air on the Bills. So, you know, the fifth-rated offense and fourth in scoring, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like, what are we going to get this week? Are we going to see the team we saw against Miami or the team we saw against the Giants or the team we saw lay an egg overseas? You know, you just don't know what you're going to get out of them every week. So, Yeah, you would think by now you would have an identity. You would know what you are. You would know how to win games weekly. um, And and I don't think they do. I think they're still trying to figure it out. I think the 49ers have an identity. They just have hit a rough patch where their identity isn't working. They don't have Debo Samuel. The defense, for whatever reason, hasn't been stepping up. But that's their identity. We know who the 49ers are. We don't know who the Bills are. and. I think it's pretty damn important to figure it out quickly. And this is their opportunity to craft an identity under the bright lights of Sunday night football with 25 million watching as the bills take on the Bengals. And we know what the Bengals identity is. It's be grateful. Joe Burrow is healthy because he's a stone cold killer. And the bigger the stakes, the more he shows up. That's the concern. That's why I look at minus two. And I think, what am I missing here? This is the kind of game for which Joe Burrow lives. He, you know, some folks end up on the big stage and they, they go Cindy Brady when the red light came on. Some get on the big stage and they get better. They crave that opportunity. It's not, it's not a negative. It's a positive. Here I am. Here's what I can do. I am going to kick ass and take names. That's Joe Burrow. So now that he's healthy, and after we saw what they did to the 49ers in their own building last Sunday, that's a hostile environment, tough place to win. The Bengals going to win by 14, and it could have been worse. I don't know what I'm missing here because Burrow's 100%, and when he's 100%, the Bengals are tough to beat, especially in games where they have their full focus and attention on showing up and putting on a display. It seems like ages ago when Joe Burrow played that first game and had under 100 yards against the Browns. Last three games, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, Mike. He's been unbelievable, and you're right. He steps up in the biggest moments. He loves the spotlight. He loves the big games, and he performs his best in those games. So 100%, I'm with you. I I see the two points. And I'm like, how is that not more with how Joe Burrow is playing right now and how up and down the bills are? So apparently, and Vegas is usually right, apparently we're missing something. It feels like a trap. And if it is, Uh I'm walking right into it. I think the Bengals win. I think the Bengals cover. We'll see what happens on Sunday night. When we return, a grab bag, including whether or not the Chiefs will be able to slow down their old friend who became enough of a pain in the butt that they traded him to the Dolphins. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. 